Alright, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke 1. This is the third straight week that we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 46. We'll look a little bit at verses 39 through uh, 45, because we're, not actually, we're going to kind of skip those tonight. Um, so I'll maybe reference them. Um, but this is going to be, or next week's going to be the last midweek service of 2020, which feels really weird, because... This is, this feels like the longest, weirdest year I've ever experienced. I mean, it definitely is, like, the longest, weirdest year. Um, but even, like, a lot of people in this group, I feel like I've known for, like, two or three years. And it's only, like, I only knew you since, like, January or, like, Ready Conference or something. And it's just, it's because 2020 has been an eternity, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, as much as I would like to say uh, that 2021 is going to be, like, this fresh start, I have a feeling that we still have some COVID stuff happening. Yeah, graduation, that's good. That's obviously good, yes. Well, I actually have a question for people graduating. Do you, are you excited to walk? Like, are you excited to, like, get on stage and walk? Is that actually going to happen? Because literally, what the, both times that I graduated, what? The 16th? Was it an actual, like, thing, like, that people are going to show up to? Well, both times I graduated, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with walking. Like, it was a weird process. There was like a super long like rehearsal, which I thought was stupid. A really long rehearsal, and I had to sit there through all this stuff and wait, and it was, it was pretty annoying. But that's, that is a good thing. I would like, but like I said, 2021 is, at least for the beginning, is probably going to look a lot similar to 2020, because we still, I mean, we still have this whole COVID stuff going on. Um, but at the same time, I am excited to like actually like restart to an extent. We have a lot of awesome stuff planned for 2020, well, I'll talk, or 2021, I'll talk about that more uh, when we get to, or next week, and I'll talk about it extensively in 2021, um, but tonight we're going to look up, or we're going to look at Mary again, um, just like last week in our Advent series, and the more that I study Mary, there's kind of a reason that I study her twice during this series, uh, half of our Advent messages are about Mary, and the more that I study her, the more that I'm convinced that she is just like an absolute like beast. Like, it's kind of crazy to read about Mary, because last week we talked a lot about her age and how young she was, and, like, we all kind of understand this, we all kind of know this, but we kind of, like, romanticize the story. We're like, well, she was just a mystic, mystic divine person, but, like, she wasn't. She was just a teenage girl, and it's crazy, like, as we, especially as we read tonight, what we're going to read tonight, like, in my wildest dreams, I couldn't write something as incredible as Mary is about to write, filled with Old Testament scriptures, filled with all sorts of awesome stuff. And I just can't, like, get over how amazing she is. Right? We don't talk about her necessarily a ton. She, isn't, she doesn't have a huge, outside of this story, she doesn't have a huge role. Actually, real quick, Dylan, did you turn that fader down? Am I still echoing or no? Am I echoing? No? Okay. I can't tell. It's like weird because I'm like behind the speaker. Sorry. I, I, so we recorded the sermons and I put them on the app and then I, I listened to it and I realized that the fader, we have like effects on it for vocals whenever we sing. So like I was echoing like throughout all these sermons like that's not good. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Um, we don't talk about Mary a ton because her story kind of ends um, after this story. Like we don't hear a lot from her throughout the gospels, but she is sort of walking proof that to any... Uh, female in this room that a life of faith is not reserved for just men. Like, I talk to you guys about this fairly often, I feel like. I don't want girl, the girls in our group to think that they're called to this, like, bless your little heart kind of Christianity. That's not what Mary is at all. 
And understand that whenever Mary is like engaging in this, and she writes this epic song that's just filled with this, an, an amazing understanding of the gospel, she writes this as a young girl in an incredibly difficult circumstance, an incredibly difficult culture. So the idea that, that there's this kind of tendency for us to diminish that, to say, well, like, whenever we, like, when we're giving away, like, theology books or talking about, like, uh, growing in our faith and learning, becoming uh, awesome, like strong Christians. We're like, well, let's just, you know, men are going to become pastors, they're going to do all this stuff. Let's just leave it to them. That's just not the case. Like, Mary shows us that's not the case. I, I remember when I saw Captain Marvel, everyone sort of like threw a fit. Everyone kind of threw a fit about, I, I remember like so many people that I knew just hated it. I hated it so much. Now, part of it, I think, is because the idea that there's a fiction, keep in mind, she's not real, okay? Captain Marvel's fake. But that there's this, there's this fictional woman out there that could, like, just beat up every dude. Like, I think it just, like, mess with guys maybe a little bit. I think that's why there was so much, like, hatred towards it. But when I, I saw that, and I remember there was this, like, really weird, like, outburst against it. And I think it was partially, like I said, we have this tendency to sort of diminish the role of women in the church because culture so wrongly portrays how women should be, Right? And in almost like an overcorrection to that, we sort of say, like, well, just don't worry about learning and growing as a Christian. Like, that's for us. Like, that's, I feel like that's sometimes the mentality. Captain Marvel is a pretty good example of how culture sees strong women, just like Iron Man's kind of an example of how culture sees strong men. Very uh, self-possessed, strong-willed, charismatic, and arrogant. That's how we see strong men and women. But what I love about Mary is that she's this absolute, like, like I said, an absolute beast, but that has an incredibly soft heart and is incredibly humble. The humility that we're going to see in Mary in the midst of just absolute crazy life circumstance, which is more difficult than I think any of us could ever really imagine. She's able to keep the main thing the main thing. She's able to see in this text, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She, throughout, they're going to talk a lot about the circumstances Mary goes through, but the fact that she's able, excuse me, the fact that she's able to write what she's writing while living the life that she's living is insanity. She writes this song, it's called The Magnificent. It's in verses 46 through 55. It's an epic, epic scripture. Her life at this very moment when she's writing it is filled with joy and thanksgiving towards her Savior and this sort of joy that she experienced, the praise that she's going to sort of heap up towards the Lord is uncontainable. And all of this is true despite the fact that she had to, or that her life circumstances were like beyond what we could imagine as people. Like as, as, as young, men, young men in this group, young women in this group, what we think is kind of difficult circumstances are not difficult circumstances compared to what Mary faced. Consider this. Think about this for a second. So the courtship you guys get to, get to enjoy as Christians, the dating process, like getting to know someone, figuring out if you want to date them, going out on dates with them, seeing if you like them, then like committing to them, like that didn't exist in this culture. Like Mary didn't get any of that. Not only that, but that decision was made for her who she was going to marry at an incredibly young age when she was probably not showing any interest in marriage. Like, we don't really consider that. It's just a cultural norm. But think about, like, at 13, 14 years old, she probably had no interest in the, just going off with this Joseph dude and being married to him, right? She didn't get to experience the same sort of process that we get to experience. 
not only did she not get to enjoy uh, dating, but even if she was emotionally mature enough, which is debatable, which is very unlikely, to desire marriage, she was told by this angel last week that she's going to have a child, like, right now, <laughs> which we have some mothers in the room. I know that when you have a child, it's pretty much a, at least an 18-year commitment where your life is just kind of over, right? Like, for 18 years, at least for 18 years, you're committed, that, like, that is your, I mean, both parents, that's kind of your role for 18 years, and then if you have more than one kid, like, it gets longer. There's a reason that, there's a reason that people, yeah, yeah. There's a reason that people sometimes want to wait a few years into marriage before they have kids so they can just, like, I mean, it's a long commitment, right? You're, you're signing away a long portion of your life. Mary didn't get that choice. She didn't get, she didn't get to choose who she was going to marry. She didn't have the choice that she was going to have a kid at, like, 13 or 14 years old. Yeah, 13. What? Sorry, sorry, sorry. She didn't have any sort of like free time, any enjoying of her life. The child that she was going to have is going to get her chased out of town by Herod. It's going to cause her marriage to almost fall apart before it even starts. Not just fall apart like, oh, I'm going to break up with you. It almost caused her to be dragged into the street and stoned. Like that's what I mean by almost falling apart. That's a, that's a di- big difference. Like we can get engaged in today's culture and be like, you know what, maybe this isn't right, break up, whatever. That was not what was going to happen here. Her marriage was going to fall apart and then also her life was next. She was going to die. That was how this was going to go down. She would have been, at best, an outcast. Like, at best, that's, that's what Joseph was going to do whenever he found out about this. He's going to, in grace, like, I mean, I say in grace. Nobody ever should think about, yeah, let's stone her. Like, that should have never been a thought. But in, jo- in uh, Joseph's mind, he at least had the, the uh, good faith to say, you know what, let's quietly separate so that you don't get in any trouble, so you don't get, so you don't get stoned. But even then, she was going to be an outcast with no sort of hope to, like, if you read Ruth, if you read Ruth, there's a, that's an incredible story of whenever you were, like, widowed, whenever you lose a husband, whenever you're sort of discarded, like, women, they didn't have anywhere to go. They were going to, like, go get jobs. They weren't going to remarry. It was over. That was, that's what she was facing. And yet her heart at this moment is filled with this incredible joy, a level of joy beyond her years. Because there's only one thing that could lift up her soul in this fashion. That was this true sort of affection and adoration for her creator. That in the midst of all of this turmoil, she was able to write these incredible words that her soul magnifies the Lord. So today we're going to look at three things. We're going to see three things that Mary did not have before this sort of encounter with the Lord and three things that she has after. She has this newfound value, a newfound power, and then a newfound covenant with the Lord. So let's look at Luke chapter 1 and read verses 46 through 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary remained with her about three months. That was speaking of Elizabeth. Remained with her for three months and then returned to her home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to gather 
Um, again, as we start to wrap up uh, 2020, pray that during this time that we would be focused on what's in front of us, that we would look at this topic of joy, look at Mary's joy, the, the praise that she was able to find in these moments, and I pray that we would take, uh, that we would hear these words, read these words, and use her as an example of how to find joy in our own lives, that we would find joy ultimately in your salvation. I pray that you bless our time together, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first thing that we see in verses 46 through 49 is this sort of newfound value that Mary has that she did not have before. The first thing that we see in this text is this create like this abundant praise for Mary, this, this joy for Mary. Why is she filled with joy? Well, it's the most basic reason that any Christian be filled with joy. It says, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. That is the most basic praise of any Christian. Because as a Christian, whenever we contemplate our salvation, it ultimately comes down to the fact that the Lord, our Savior, looked upon our humble estate, our lowly position, showed mercy to us. Not just showed mercy to us, but whenever she says that he has looked upon me, that's a personalized sort of phrase. Like he has specifically looked upon me. She's saying, I don't know why the Lord would look at me, but he looked upon me and had mercy on me. A few years ago, actually it was almost like a decade ago now that I think about it, Went to a Royals game. It's common. Go to, I've been to a ton of Royals games in my life. But we'd always sit in the upper deck because we didn't have a lot of money. So we'd sit in the upper deck. Um, we were just kind of chilling before the game because we'd always get there super early. And these ushers came to us, and they asked us if we wanted to get our seats upgraded. And I was like, well, that's, that's kind of cool. Well, apparently, like, the owner didn't go to every game because I don't know, he's a rich dude, has other things to do, I guess. But he would send out ushers to look for families of four and upgrade their seats, like if they were sitting in the upper deck. So we got to sit behind home plate. There's like a buffet. It was epic. It was like one of the best nights ever. Uh, I saw one of my favorite players hit two home runs, and he like never hit home runs. It was awesome. But the thing I remember the most about that night is there's a player named Salvador Perez. He still plays for the Royals. He's like this sort of fan favorite. Like every Royals fan loves Salvador Perez. But he was in the on-deck circle, and I'm sitting there, and I kind of just yell at him. Right, kind of say, hey, Sal, whatever, as like a young kid. And he like looks at me, like nods at me. And in that moment, I was like, okay, we're best friends now. Like that's, that's the transaction that just happened. Like we are, we are now best friends. And he's still with the Royals. That was, that was his uh, rookie year. But I, I remember like how much I freaked out. To him, it wasn't anything. Like to him, every moment of his life is consumed with, with people yelling at him, people wanting him to sign autographs. For him, it was just a nod. For me, it was a way bigger deal than that, just looking at me and nodding. This is the same kind of idea that we see here. That for God, there is no reason, no benefit for him to look upon us, to look at our lowliness, to see us. There was no reason for him to see lowly Mary, but he did. She recognized that she had no business sort of getting his attention and praised him for doing it. This is the sort of, or this sort of joy comes whenever we realize how lowly we are and how mighty God is. It's an awesome realization whenever we understand that our problem as humans is that we are all lowly. Like even the most arrogant humans, like we understand how like fragile and how lowly we are as people. We know how much life can kind of suck at times and how much we, how little control that we have over our lives. Mary knew that. Mary, more than anybody, knew how little control she had over her life. She knew what her life was. It was unchangeable. Her condition was unchangeable. Mary's joy came from knowing that God loved her anyway. That in a culture that valued her as nothing, that for whatever reason, God sent Gabriel. Like, Gabriel's a big deal. God sends Gabriel to speak to her. 
that will give you a different level of value in your life, a different level of worth in your life. Whenever everything around you tells you you're worth nothing, but then God Almighty comes down and is speaking to you. So I can't stress enough how important it is to have this sort of mentality that Mary has in our lives, that to have our value as people affirmed by nothing else but Jesus, by his looking down upon us. She says in verse uh, in verse 48, that she will now, or that she now, all generations will call her blessed, simply because God had looked down upon her. So that mentality, whenever we have that mentality of, well, of course I'm blessed because the Lord decided to forgive me, because the Lord gave me salvation. That's sort of this sort of basic foundational position that we could find joy in constantly. It doesn't require other outside factors to find joy in that. It gives us joy when it doesn't make any sense. It gives us contentment and comfort in the midst of pain and suffering. Verse 40, 48 is the key, like I said. Behold, looking upon her humble estate, she was now blessed. That was all that it took for her to find joy in this, in this moment. The only thing that would provide it for her. So you think, we all think our value will come from something other than God. Like, that's just kind of the way it is. We think that, well, whenever we date the right person, or whenever we sort of get, like, if we get great grades or win big games, whatever it is for you, like that, we think that that's the thing that's going to ultimately give us the sort of feeling in our stomach that we need to keep going on. But it's not. We get to that moment and it never actually does that for us. Because we're going to be reminded again and again, even after receiving those things, that we are small. Our smallness creates this void in us that only comes whenever we know that the Lord is not with us. We, look, we know that the Lord is the only thing that fills that void. Only that he looked upon our lowly estate, our lowly position, and blessed us. This is praise and joy for Mary. This is magnify the Lord. So Paul, or not Paul, David writes in that sort of manner all the time in the Psalms. It shows us that first, the, the, the way that she is able to find this joy shows us that the Holy Spirit was active and powerful in her life, because we don't get, to, we don't choose joy. Like we think that we might choose joy, choose when to be happy, but generally speaking, we don't. We can, that's sort of like a motivational tactic, or like a, I don't know, like self-help book kind of thing. You choose joy. Well, not really. Like it's impact, it's impacted by outside forces. That's what determines whether or not we're joyful or happy. But whenever we're able to like be in a constant state of joy, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Whenever the Holy Spirit is igniting joy in our lives, other joy is going to fade at some point. Other happiness is going to fade at some point. But it also shows us that joy isn't just for, or joy like this, joy in the Lord. It's not just for dudes on stage with a mic <laughs> preaching about the Lord. It's not just for dudes singing about the Lord. It's not just for those people, for us. It's for everybody. Mary experiences. She experienced personal blessing from the Lord. That gave her value. She also is given this sort of newfound power. Look at verses 50 through 53. It says that his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. One of the things that I've thought about a lot when I've studied Mary is her innocence. Like how, obviously she's super young, but also just her, we talked a little bit about like the childlike faith last week that she has. 
I, I, I'm in this community on Facebook. It's a, it's this, this is a really weird niche community, but it's a bunch of like Christians that are like either seminary Christians or like preachers or teachers, whatever, but also just like really big office fans. It's called Dunder Mifflin Seminary. It's amazing. It's like an awesome, awesome Facebook group. Um, there's just a bunch of like memes and stuff on there. And I saw a meme about Joseph and Mary's marriage, and they compared, or Joseph and Mary in this, in this meme were Jim and Pam. And at first, I kind of laughed at that. I was like, hey, that's kind of funny. And I started thinking about Mary's involvement. Like, if you know the office, you know the story of, like, Jim and Pam. It's like a classic romance, whatever. They're like, both, one isn't pursuing the other, and then what the other is pursuing the other when the other isn't. It's this kind of back-and-forth situation. That was not Mary's experience at all. Like I said earlier, she didn't have this this ability to choose her husband. And I know that it was like a cultural norm, but I was sort of like broken down by this this week when I was thinking about this. Um, it was this cult, when I, actually when I saw this meme, it was a cultural norm, this is how marriage happened, but I couldn't help but feel tremendous sadness for Mary about the fear, the anxiety that she probably felt being sent off to be married. Like you're told in culture, like that's what you do, right? Like she understood that. I'm sure that she she went at it super bravely compared to like what we would go at it because we're in a different culture than her. But I just couldn't stop but think of the powerlessness that she probably felt. So I, like I said earlier, we romanticize this story, but I think of the fear that's coming into her life of being married at 13 years old to someone that, you know, you didn't choose to marry. For most of her life, Mary hadn't had a single person defend her. She hadn't had a single person fight for her. She had no strength, no position, but now she suddenly has this power behind her that she never had. It says, verse 51 says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. Then verse 52, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of a humble estate. What she is talking about there is herself. She is the person in the humble estate. She, this, was, this, isn't, this wasn't America. It wasn't this, like, if you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, you can work hard, become successful. That was not the context Mary lived in. She was a woman a teenage woman or a teenage girl, it was done. She had her life decided for her. And then all of a sudden, God comes in and gives her this power that she did not have before. Gives her this, this exaltation that she was going to be the mother of Jesus, the Messiah. Imagine living your life, and maybe some of you experience this, but imagine living your life with no defender, no power, no strength over your own life, being the lowest of low. Now she realizes that the Lord, the God of the universe, is her defender. Mary got to experience his power firsthand. She literally got to feel the power of the Holy Spirit when she was overshadowed, right? Whenever, she, uh, whenever Jesus was uh, put inside her womb, like there was, I mean, it's the Holy Spirit. That was a supernatural event that she got to experience. God's people got to see this whenever he parted the Red Sea. Supernatural experience. Something that doesn't happen every day. Abraham saw it whenever, her, whenever he and Sarah got to have Isaac. Elijah saw it whenever God sent fire down from heaven to ignite his altar. They got to see this power firsthand. And this power, whenever you see it, is always liberating. It causes people to praise a holy and powerful God. Because you get to see this stuff happen right in front of your face. Right? I think a good example of this, and I know I always use sports references and Marvel and Office, whatever. But I think a good example of this is every week when I watch Patrick Mahomes. Like, he just does something stupid, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what the heck was that? How did he do that? Humans aren't supposed to do that. That's what, I mean, whenever you, like, see people, whenever you see something happen that's, like, not normal, there's an inclination. You just say, that's crazy. That's incredible. That's amazing. 
That's what Mary's doing right here. The joy that she feels is from seeing God's supernaturally work by seeing God's power right in front of her. Now, we operate, live by faith, right? Like, that's, that's just the Christian mantra. We trust in the Lord. We follow the Lord in faith that what he says is true, that he himself is faithful to love us, to have mercy on us. But what is faith? Definition. What is it? Anyone know? It's in Hebrews. It's pr- you've seen it on coffee mugs. You've seen it on, I don't know, sweatshirts. It's assurance in what? Or hope in what? things that are unseen, right? Hebrews 11 says that it is assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. So whenever we finally see those things, our faith is vindicated, right? So whenever I went to that Royals game, they sucked, man. They were terrible. And then, I mean, for most of my life, they were terrible. And they won the World Series. It was vindication. It was like all those years waiting for this, and it finally happened. I got to see that happen. It was awesome. Mary's joy here is most easily seen because she has seen God come through. And we all have that desire, right? We all have, we, we pray for stuff. We ask God to see stuff happen in our lives. And whenever we actually get to see it, it's awesome. Because <laughs> most of the time we spend our life in waiting, waiting for God to do something, praying for him to do something. Then whenever he does it, we get to praise him for it. We find joy in it. Several times over the last two weeks, I've talked about prayers where we have to just simply ask God to do what only he can do. What he is the only person that has the power to do. There are things in their situations where only God can act. And Mary got to see this power firsthand. Now, God comes through for Mary in two different ways. First, he gives her salvation. Like, that's the most basic one. So he talks about, the very, she says at the beginning, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, right? Now, the irony is that she's speaking of Jesus, too, who is currently in her belly. So that's an interesting dynamic. Like, her Savior is her child, which is weird. No one else gets to experience that. But Mary magnifies the Lord for this salvation. Her joy is rooted in God being her Savior. That's why she started by saying that. There's a whole lot of other personal stuff that God did for her. But she starts by saying, uh, my soul rejoices for my Savior. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on my humble estate. That's her first root praise of the Lord in this moment. But secondly, God came through for her by fulfilling the promise that he gave to her. So in Hebrews 11, the author lists several people who walked by faith. A lot of them did not see the end of the road. They didn't see the promise. So like Moses, for instance, didn't get to see what he was promised because he sinned and messed up. He didn't get to actually experience it. But you think of like uh, Noah. Noah's a good example. God's like, hey, I'm going to make it rain super hard. It's going to flood the earth. He starts building an ark for a really long time. looks really stupid. And he's like, God, really really hope you start to make it rain because if you don't, I'm going to look even worse. And it did. Like he got to see it happen. Got to see that promise be fulfilled. Or even Abraham. Abraham's saying, there's no way I'm going to have a kid. I'm way too old. And it actually happens. Sarah, Abraham's wife, is a better example. She laughed at it. She's like, it's not going to happen. With each of them, God did exactly what he said he was going to do. They praised him for that. So the assurance of things hoped for for us is ultimately found in salvation. Like we, we have faith and we can hope knowing that God will save us. That God has had mercy on us. But the assurance is also for life here as well. When we pray for God's power, we hope that he will act. We hope that he will move in our lives. When we pray over situations, we hope that God will act upon those situations. Sometimes he says no or acts differently than we want. But we have to pray with the understanding that we're not just praying to the ceiling. They're praying to a God who has the power to do the things that we're asking him for. Now again, he might not do them. Or he might do them differently than you you would like him to do them. He has the power to move. 
I love that Mary has this confidence, not because of herself. Like, she didn't have any sort of ability herself. She had no way to move any sort of needles by herself because she was powerless. She was backed by God's power. Her proclamation that the humble are exalted, the proud scattered, and the rich sent away empty-handed isn't because she has some, like, insight into what Jesus is going to do whenever he's born. It's because she now knows the character of God. She saw God's power, and he's like, this is who God is. This is what God has shown me. It's what he's done in my life. So we get to praise God, find joy that we, these little, tiny people in this sort of epic, cosmic, like, story. Such a t- we're such tiny specks, but for whatever reason, God decides to show and give us his power. 